0: Inductees into the South Dakota Hall of Fame come from all backgrounds of life, but one thing they all have in common is their daily pursuit of their dreams. In this podcast, you will hear stories of the legacy of these inductees and how these dream chasers have impacted South Dakota in meaningful ways. I'm Greta Chapman. I'm the CEO for the South Dakota Hall of Fame, and today with me is Lauren Cheddar, and we are going to visit about his story as an inductee Um, There may also be some things as a board member as well. And so, Lauren, thank you for taking the time um, to share your story in a way that we can continue the journey. Um, So I would like to ask you first up, with your induction into the hall, now your fifth year anniversary, um, is another reason why we're doing the video for the anniversary reunion. What's transpired um, from your perspective, one, as you came into the hall, and what's happened since then as far as your story?
1: Well, it was, first of all, a great honor to be inducted into the hall, you know, without saying. And the other thing that it has done has really opened up kind of some of the world to me in terms Mm -hmm. of people that I've learned to know through the board and the board of the, of the Hall of Fame and just the Hall of Fame in general mm-hmm. and that, that that I found very useful. You know, I'm retired from oncology practice but I still do a lot of things related to oncology both locally and nationally and, mm-hmm. and that's that's only gotten better I would say.
0: Do you think that's a typical evolution of an inductee or what was it for you
1: yeah I think it depends I mean when you practice medicine mm-hmm. it's a very one-on-one situation mm-hmm. uh, and those are the people that you know now I wasn't smart enough to be involved like in rotary and things like that that would have broadened that and, and frankly mm-hmm. it was a time thing to some extent mm-hmm. uh, but so you get isolated
0: mm-hmm. and, and
1: and I've kind of gotten unisolated I also serve on another community board in Sioux Falls that has done that locally so it has really opened up the group of people that I know and relate to that I wouldn't have otherwise mm-hmm. known. So it's been very positive from that point of view.
0: And and I think your description of that is pretty succinct in the sense of who you are because change and adaptation as you get older uh, you know at least Statistically, has shown to be more difficult, and yet in your case, it's almost in the reverse. It's gotten right?
1: e- it's gotten easier, right? Right. Yeah. For example, there's yeah. several board members that I would never have known outside of being on the board and related to the hall. So, uh, West River, you know, Central mm-hmm. South Dakota, mm-hmm. Northern South Dakota. It just has really opened that up.
0: So, just expanding a little bit more on that. Um, characteristic of the story, um, your journey, being an inductee, what, what you've described in, is that there really is this learning curve um, that continues and I think uh, the majority w- may not see it that way. Can you talk a little bit how your learning curve and where you are now five years later being inducted, what's that feel and look like from your perspective?
1: Well, at least on a local level, as I said, it has exposed me to people who are often quite successful that I wouldn't have otherwise known. Uh, And even just from being a board member at the hall, it's exposed me to fundraising Mm -hmm. and philosophies about fundraising and programming issues, how do you promote excellence, what's really the way to do it, and what are the options that I wouldn't have thought of otherwise. So it's been a continuing learning educational process.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, What would you want others to know about your story when it comes to its impact on South Dakota?
1: Well, I knew that that would be one of the questions, so I've done some thinking about that. I think I was successful in setting up an environment where clinical trials as part of a patient's treatment was a possibility and something that they would consider. Whereas before I came to South Dakota to practice oncology, and actually I was one of the first oncologists here, Hmm. that possibility didn't exist now we had to set up an infrastructure in order to do that Mm -hmm. but I think I was successful in promoting that to where now people have a better acceptance to that although I found that people had an acceptance of it once they understood it even in the beginning but I remember remarking wouldn't it be nice if the National Cancer Institute had public service ads on television related to clinical trials and that didn't exist but it does now. And at night, sometimes I hear them. So I think we've made some real progress. So I said I was helpful in setting up that environment mm-hmm. to develop. It took other people to do it in addition, but at least there was some yeah. itis for doing it.
0: So, Clinical Research 101, person has mm-hmm. cancer, has an opportunity to be a part of the research. Right. What, what would you say was set up in a way? wasn't there
1: well in order to do it successfully you have to have a team around you because it's time-consuming to present these possibilities to patients in a way that they understand them and accept them and and one of the issues is it's how you present them so if you have a patient with cancer and they're due to make a decision about treatment you have to be sure to include that clinical trials option right up front as a possibility. So there are standard care options, there might be wrinkles of that, Mm -hmm. and then there's an investigational clinical trial Mm -hmm. that's asking a question and usually adding something to the therapy. Because if you don't present it up front and present it later as an add-on, patients assume it's an add-on and maybe it's not okay. So it's gotta have legitimacy from the very beginning and it takes time to do that so if you're an oncologist practicing usual oncology and you keep up with the literature and kind of know what the standard good treatments are it's awful easy to tell the patient well this is the treatment you should have discuss it and then say when should we start that's a different story than talking to them about a trial as an option it takes a lot more time and you need a team around you that will help you spread that story and answer questions and have more time Mm -hmm. than you might have as a physician. So you have to have a structured team around it.
0: So what's the percentage if you were to just um, ballpark it on how many practicing doctors would be in a position to even suggest that? Well,
1: in the United States, it's pretty good. I, I, I don't have a handle on it, but I would venture that probably it's in the at least 50 to 60 percent range in Mm -hmm. oncology, Mm -hmm. because it's been, oncology was really one of the four leaders of getting that kind of approach started.
0: And is that, why is that?
1: Um, Well I think one of the reasons is there there were so many unanswered questions Mm -hmm. and so trying to answer those questions you needed a clinical trial in order to do it and then new advances came around that needed to be tested. So those kind of things together, hmm. And frankly, the National Cancer Institute hmm. and the national program started under Nixon, the, the, the hmm. war against cancer it was called, I think, okay. in the 70s. So all that kind of stuff together.
0: So how would you advise a young person in the field that you've been in to consider non-traditional medicine maybe that's not the right word or innovative I mean obviously that's your uh, induction into the hall is the innovation Mm -hmm. how would you encourage a young person to think on those terms when it comes to innovation and they're going into a profession
1: and when you're saying non-conventional you're talking about clinical trials yes okay Uh, you know
0: you took the leap yeah and yet well, it wasn't it, there.
1: if I wanted to be an oncologist I, I would find a really good oncology training program
0: mm-hmm.
1: which I was okay. fortunate to have at Mayo and then and, and they have the approach of using mm-hmm. clinical trials okay. It even goes back further than the approach here in South Dakota mm-hmm. and uh, I would encourage them to get into that kind of program and into a mindset that that's the way they want to practice it's a, it's a much more fulfilling way to practice than to say, this is a standard of care, let's start that mm-hmm. treatment. Not that you couldn't take good care of patients that way, Sure. but on a personal level, it's much the more research. interesting to, to say, for example, we were involved in the breast cancer prevention trial, prostate cancer prevention trial, starting to ask questions, is there a way we could present these from, prevent mm-hmm. these mm-hmm. diseases from coming about? and those were part of the trials, whereas if you weren't involved in those, you never got to that level. So it makes the practice more interesting, and I'd encourage them to pursue that.
0: So this is why you ask me questions all the time about, (laughs) as a board member, (laughs) why do we do that?
1: Right. And
0: why is that? Right. It's an inquisitive mind in a way that, um, you have a really thoughtful kind and interesting approach when you participate that's my observation
1: well you know i would say this as an oncologist there are certain traits that go along with being a good oncologist one of that is empathy real empathy Mm -hmm. for the patient they're in difficult situations but number two is the ability to stand back and get away from that and Mm -hmm. say what's the situation we're facing here and what yeah. options do we really have that are realistic. So you have to have empathy and yet be able to step back from that empathy to really take care of the patient. The ying and the yang of... Because if you're just em- empathetic and don't have pressure. the ability to step back and yeah. really evaluate things you're not going to do yeah. a good job.
0: Yeah. Um, what, does it, what does South Dakota not know about your story? <laughs>
1: Well, they don't... I was thinking about this when I read the list of questions that that Trish sent me. Uh, They don't know much about my childhood background, and and I don't know if that's personally interesting to everybody. Oh, always. But I didn't have the easiest childhood, you know, because my my parents separated in 57. Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. But before that, between kind of 50 and 57, we just moved around all the time. I th- my father was restless for some, okay. well I was 15 and 57 okay. Okay. so um, he was restless and they, he just mm. moved all the time. One year mm. I went to three different schools wow. but one of them interestingly the second one of the three was uh, Hollywood High and my grandkids are always yeah. intrigued by that. Now I knew no one famous. Uh, <laughs> but, uh,
0: but you were there.
1: But I was there but the, but the one thing that I huh. figured out as a kid growing up, now I might have not done this and gotten off on the wrong track too, mm-hmm. but I figured out that education was going to be important, and so I always really worked on that when I moved schools.
0: How'd you why, how'd you come to that? What what prompted yeah, that? Yeah,
1: I thought about that too. You, you know, the Cheddar side of my family. Uh, was from the Freeman Bridgewater area we're in the 20s higher education was not the main mm-hmm. object most of most people were farmers but my grandfather was a pastor owner of the churches and, and and felt the need to go on to college and so forth so that education thing got started in the mm-hmm. family
0: in the 20s
1: yeah mm-hmm. now my other side of the family the Hofer side excellent family
0: mm-hmm.
1: but they weren't into education as much. They were just really good farmers. Okay. And which is important too. Sure, sure. But but anyway, so that kind of I think got me started. Hmm.
0: That good, way a good bridge. Yeah, a good, a good bridge mm. between the two. Yeah. 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 Hmm. So
1: people don't know that a part of my about yeah. my life. And then once my parents separated, we settled here in Sioux Falls and lived here ever since. But when we first moved, you know, we lived in a tiny one-bedroom apartment, my sister, myself, and my mother, above Alex Drug, which is at okay. 18, 18th and Grange, it was. It's not there anymore. So mm. it wasn't the easiest life, but anyway, it came along.
0: How did it come along in, in, from just, where just, you are today?
1: Just by continuing the educational process mm-hmm. through high school. I had some good mentors in high school. One of them, actually, was my mother's cousin, and Kleinsasser, who taught English at Washington High yeah. and she was known as a tough teacher yeah so I took English literature from her got a good grade and you know the interesting thing was when I went to medical school Anne called me and said you know I'd like to give you an X amount of money for tuition at medical school she really? said I- I'll expect it paid back someday when you're able and there'll be no interest okay what do you suppose what do you suppose? Have you thought about? I mean, well, she did that for other people too. Okay. That was her mentoring commitment. Okay. But uh, anyway, oh, so that's I had some good mentors along the way, and that's true also in in college. Dr. Kintner, the chemistry leader, and in, I think in medical school, Mark Dodge in Kansas City, internist yeah. trained at Mayo. That's how I got to Mayo, because he he he, he did. Uh, a month rotation he was not on the faculty at the university of kansas medical school but was in practice of internal medicine
0: mm-hmm. and
1: he would take one student every month
0: hmm. for
1: ten months out of the year took the summer off hmm. went to minnesota to his lake home and fished but anyway and for that and this was in the sixties he would give you a stipend of five hundred dollars wow. which was half of tuition at kansas wow. and 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 uh... And, and mentored for, you for the, for the month, okay? That's well. And, that's and he said, you know, you need to apply to Mayo. I'll write the recommendation. So those kind of mentors were really important.
0: But mentorship is a um, give and take. You can accept it. Mm-hmm. It changes over time. Mm-hmm. Some, uh, oftentimes the mentee, uh, you know, outlives in either thought or mm-hmm. just longevity. So... Um, how do you see yourself in that role uh, you, you know it's not everybody that does this but do you have some inclination or experience to do similar when it comes to mentoring
1: well i think so i mean in in the practice of oncology i mentored other upcoming oncologists particularly in clinical trials and they bought into it and, and we had a good program because of that and now my main goal is to mentor my grandkids, get them all on the right track. I kinda knew that. Yeah. And they're and they're all coming along. Great. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah so. you've had some mm-hmm. you've had some rows to travel with them. Yeah. So that's yeah. been really Isn't your oldest granddaughter is she considering what her field where you She
1: went? wants to go into Madison. I don't yeah. think it will be oncology, okay. but I don't know what, what discipline I don't know. And She doesn't know either, I don't think. And
0: she's at Augie?
1: She's at Augie. Yeah,
0: which is where you also went.
1: Right. She's a junior at Augie this yeah. year. Okay. So,
0: yeah, okay. Um, what was your biggest challenge?
1: Well, I think getting on the right track during childhood was one challenge. Uh, Otherwise, life hasn't been too challenging. It's been pretty float along pretty well, I will say.
0: Do you think that's something about your personality as well, though, too? Well, I suppose, and I think
1: getting into the right situations at the right time and the right places. Mm-hmm. And for example, when we started the clinical trials program, mm-hmm. you know, it was Dr. Mortal at Mayo who was one of the senior oncologists that in his thought process said you know we're training all these oncologists they go out into the community and they don't really they're not set up to contribute to this trials research program so he called some of us together from Fargo Mm -hmm. and Sioux Falls and St. Cloud and here and there Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, to start this trials program called the North Central Cancer Treatment Group so he called and asked if I was interested and I said yes so seeing the opportunity accepting it was important. So it wasn't like I developed it all by myself in the beginning. you know mm-hmm. there were opportunities that you had to take though to get mm-hmm. there. So it's been actually pretty easy over the years to do that.
0: I think it's still somewhat your personality to yeah. take <laughs> challenges no. and adversity and turn them into mm-hmm. opportunities. I think mm-hmm. that's some of the characteristic that comes through oftentimes with inductee stories are those, They're simple in words, but very hard in practice. Yeah, I'll buy
1: that. Yeah, you could have said no, Hmm. and that would have been a mistake, but yeah, but I didn't.
0: So, um, what are you most proud of? And proud of in the sense of how it has impacted South Dakota, you know?
1: Well, I'm proud of that program uh, and a good quality oncology practice. I'm now retired. And you know, I'm kind of proud of the things that I still do. I chair the IRB at Sanford for cancer studies. That's the, IRB is something that approves these studies for human okay. subject use, okay? okay? And I sit on, on a National Cancer Institute board as a member of their IRB for prevention trials. So we look at things that, that mm-hmm. help prevent cancer or complications from cancer. Mm-hmm. And, and now I'm just starting a, a program through Columbia University that's a grant that one of the doctors there has that's looking at how do these trials get presented to patients and is there a way to do it that increases their acceptability rate and so we're just starting that so that's kind of an interesting program. And we
0: we talked about that Mm -hmm. when we first first began of what Mm -hmm. that um, means from your perspective of the patient's experience um, with a serious consideration in their life, you know, and how to stay in front of that. Um, How does a person make a difference in their community and in their profession? How do you think that happens?
1: Well, I think first of all it's to have excellence in your practice. I mean, No one really wants to go to a doctor that doesn't have excellence if they know what decisions they're making at least. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the ways. And then kind of thinking what are the innovative things that you could be involved in around that practice and an and, and involvement in the community. If I had any shortfall during my practice it was that it was kind of consumed with practice mm-hmm. and the research program and not so much other community things mm-hmm. that I've now gotten more into. Well, you're paying in. that forward right yeah, now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, now I've kind of forgotten what the question was.
0: <laughs> How to make a difference? Oh, yeah. You know, so it's it's
1: just doing those things with with some quality and excellence and perseverance and and and, and actually educating the people around you about it too. Educating other physicians around it, the community. It was all, one of the Problems we had was actually kind of educating the community around us Mm -hmm. because it's hard to get your your stuff out into the community Mm -hmm. and press. You don't want to be too Mm self-serving, but I came up with a way that we would periodically hold little press conferences. (laughs) So if a new trial came along with a new wrinkle, great fundraiser. We we held a press conference, (laughs) and you know the media came and it usually got newspaper coverage and at least it got out. A bit, yeah. Now I think it's actually easier to get that information
0: out oh, locally, sure. but well, in digital and mm-hmm. different yeah. venues as well. Um, we've talked a little bit about this, but I guess just kind of to summarize again for young people, the pieces that you know, when we talk about excellence, we're really talking about the challenges, the trials, the tribulations, you know, the things that that we all experience but how to stay with it so how, how do you and you've talked about you know mentoring your grandchildren how do you instill in them the possibilities at the same time there are defeats how do you, how do, you do that?
1: Well you need to look on the positive side of things I guess and capitalize on those okay. and learn from the mistakes or missed opportunities that you've made or have missed, okay? And I with my granddaughter, for example, when she first started Augie, mm-hmm. she she met a professor kind of in the summer on a tour and they kind of clicked along and the professor had a research project that she joined as a freshman, which doesn't happen too often. So she stuck to that and she's still involved in those research things. and now does some re- research things in the summer out at Sanford Research, mm-hmm. the north building there mm-hmm. or the research building and uh, so kind of just encouraging them to them to stick to it and capitalize on the positives mm-hmm. and the things that can get you ahead and the negative things to kind of learn from them and move
0: on. Does it work?
1: I think so. <laughs> I think it does. <laughs>
0: I think you're. I think you're probably right. You, you've got a testament to that in your in your story as mm-hmm. well as your family and your friends. Well, yeah. I think
1: if you hang on to the negatives or the misses, then, then yeah. you're just wasting effort and time. It's good. Yeah. Better to put it into the positive realm.
0: You sure economy wasn't in your background <laughs> as well? <laughs> no. 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 Um. I think we've touched on each one of the questions. Uh, but I think the one to kind of bring things to where we are today, with your story, is how does it, how is it continuing? You know, how is, what brought you into the Hall of Fame? How is that continuing today? I know you've mentioned several things. Well, s- I think, it's, things, I think it's
1: continuing by the projects that I do related to oncology. Uh, at this time and and the good thing is that those opportunities exist in oncology mm-hmm. if you're an endocrinologist or a pulmonologist they don't exist quite as much oncology is kind of the forerunner in that so I'm lucky in a sense that possibilities existed and through the uh, community oncology program that we had mm-hmm. with the National Cancer Institute I got to know people there who actually recommended me for the National Board, and one thing leads to another. So that, that's continue. one of the ways it continues. I quite frankly look at my grandkids as another way that that will continue. I mean, if Lauren gets into Madison Medical mm-hmm. School, which mm-hmm. I can't imagine she won't, even mm-hmm. here in South Dakota, mm-hmm. uh, you know, she'll help move that forward too because she kind of has the same philosophy, not that I had anything to do with it, maybe I did a little bit. you got to own uh, some of this. But, but, but anyway, <laughs> she has the same philosophy, and yeah. uh, my second, my third oldest grandson, you know, wants to be in law and uh-huh. maybe politics, and I think he's getting the right attitude about how to treat politics mm-hmm. and the positives that can come out of mm-hmm. it and try to get away some of the negatives and mm-hmm. things we don't like about politics. Um, So I think that they'll move that story along, too.
0: Yeah. Anything that we didn't get to that for the sake, you know, for the purpose of this legacy video that is going to be past any of us?
1: Uh, No. I mean, you know, as I look back at life and say, well, what were the real negatives, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, I will have to say that my father, you know, was somewhat of a negative and and, Mm -hmm. and an unfortunate, unhappy life, okay? But but it didn't drag me down, which is a good thing. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that I would say, and I've thought about this over time, Mm -hmm. is that the Cheddar side of the family, uh, Mm -hmm. he was a Cheddar, you know, they never left my mother or my sister and myself, Mm -hmm. and they stuck with us have over the years, and that's been a really positive thing and something that Mm-hmm. I'm particularly grateful for. Yeah. And the other side ha- did too, of course, but I mean, they had a choice to make. sure They could have not done it or they did sure. it and they did. And uh, it, it was really a good thing. It's been a really good thing.
0: Thank you for listening. To learn more about the South Dakota Hall of Fame and these dream chasers, visit our website at www.sdexcellence.org and follow us on Facebook and Instagram.